decisions are going to be made without you sometimes. And so you can only control how you prepare, what, how you show up every day and, and how you recover and where your mental side of the game is at. Those are things within your control, the effort you give, the attitude you bring to the, whatever your sport is every single day, all the other stuff is not. Welcome to the All In Podcast, where we dive into the mindset, habits, and stories behind inspiring and passionate individuals who know what it takes to go all in. In All In, you can expect real and raw conversations with athletes, coaches, and leaders on topics like mental health, mindset, psychology, training, wellness, habits, and much more. We hope to leave you feeling empowered with motivational stories, relatable experiences, and actionable advice. And I know that I personally walk away from each episode learning something new. In this episode, we are joined by Brent Lauren, a former pro baseball player and host of the Two Tall Sports Podcast. Brett shares his journey in pro ball, the value of being a multi-sport athlete, mental health tips for college athletes and students, the reality of playing in the minors, and his experience transitioning out of sports. So without further ado, let's go all in. Brett, welcome to the All In Podcast. Thanks so much for, for joining us here. Let's dive into your story. I know you were drafted in 2008, but I want to like go further back. And I'm mm-hmm. always curious with different athletes. Did you grow up playing multiple sports or did you focus purely on baseball early on? So I played multiple sports when I was growing up, including soccer, which I'm not a huge fan of, but it was just good for like, you know, mobility and just, you know, playing a different sport using, I guess, different muscles or thinking differently about a game. But um, I was basketball and baseball pretty much all the way through. Uh, Those are my two favorite sports growing up. And then when I got into high school, I still played both all the way through my senior year. And I kind of had to like make a decision of which way I was going to go, whether I would try to go, you know, play college basketball or would I go college baseball? Um, And I chose baseball just, it made more sense, like future wise, like, you know, I'm tall at six, seven, but you know, I'm not that fast and I can't jump that high. So I was just like, all right, what are my real chances here? And then I thought, okay, maybe I can be a six, seven pitcher uh, that has projectability to the next level. So Mm. And I, I did decide to go with baseball after high school, but yeah, for the most part, when I was growing up, I, I played them all. I enjoyed football, not organized, but just for fun. But I, I always encourage people to play multiple sports when you're a kid. I love that. I definitely believe the same thing. And I mean, we're seeing now athletes who are like raised on their sports since like three years old, but often you yeah. see early injuries, early plateaus in their career. There's a lot of, you know, pros and cons for each side, but I, I truly believe that multiple sports is, is the way to go. What are some of those adaptable skills, I guess, that you learned from, let's say basketball that then, you know, paid off into baseball? Yeah. I think just like body movement, you know, when you're taller, especially it takes a while to grow into your body and figuring mm-hmm. out how all the limbs work, you know? So I think as far as like even just playing defense and basketball, just being connected body wise of like how to move your feet with your hands at the same time, you know, or, you know, slides, all that stuff. I just think the, and also the awareness too, like the peripheral vision, everything you have to have to become an athlete. It was nice to have, you know, if I have to make a quick play when I have to run off the mound on like a bunt, let's say, or something like that, just having those quick twitch background for me helped, I think with, with the, the little parts about being an athlete. So, um, and back to your point about early injuries, like nobody, when I was in high school was having Tommy John. And I hear now these kids are playing so much travel ball that, you know, they're having these surgeries in high school, which just, it, it didn't used to happen back then. 
It's, it's absolutely crazy. I actually, I played uh, baseball. I was a pitcher and a catcher up until probably like 13 as like the boys started getting faster. And I was like, Oof, I'm kind of scared of the curveballs coming my way. But yeah. I, yeah, it was similar. Like I, and there were so many rules too. Like I remember even back then, right. Of how many pitches you could do. Um, I remember I was like trying to do curveballs, and I was like, probably why this is my bad shoulder now. Um, but now it seems like, yeah, people are, are overdoing those motions while they're going, they're growing. What are some ways that you know, it could be changed to improve, not just in baseball, but in other sports, um, you know, that issue. And how can we like convince young athletes as well as parents and coaches to let their athletes do multiple sports and be um, exposed to all these different movement patterns? I think it's the parents, honestly. I think some of these parents are so, they're like vicariously living through their kids mm. and they think they're all going to go to the big leagues or they're all going to go the NBA or the NFL. It's just like, the percentages are super low. And I'm not saying don't try and don't train and do all that stuff, but a 12 year old kid shouldn't be playing a hundred plus games a year for multiple teams. You know, like you're not built for that kind of schedule. So I just would back, I would back off the games a lot. You know, obviously pitch counts, big inning limits. I think some of that's in place, but at the same time, if you're playing for three different travel clubs, plus, you know, your little league or your high school team and your club ball, it's just, it's too much for a young body to handle. So I would say, let's dial back the games a little bit, you know, keep the fun in the game. And a lot of it mentally, like you, there's a burnout factor as well too, you know, like that can, if you're playing that much as a kid, like you can hate the sport when you get, by the time you get to high school. So there's the mental side and the physical side. we got to back down the amount of games these kids are playing. Right. I a hundred percent agree. And I, it's hard to say, yeah, like you said, with the parents and making sure that they're not playing on these different teams, because there are some of those rules in place within the leagues and the teams, but it's just when I, I could assume as a parent, as well as a young athlete, when you see your friends or you see your friend's children, um, you know, playing all these games on these different teams, it's almost like that whole rat race of keeping up. And you're like, I got to get my kid on this team where as the kid that like, I have to train as hard as this kid, because I want to make it. And right. it's very difficult to, to take that step back. What advice would you give to even adults who in their life, whether it's in a business, in a relationship, in sports, um, need to like that advice to take a step back perhaps from overdoing it on this one thing, even though that one thing is their goal, what advice would you give to them so that they can improve that thing, but you know, have balance all around and have it be a little bit more sustainable. Sure. And you've done a lot of this in your videos too, about recovery days are okay. You know, you can still do whatever it's active recovery, whether it's like, you know, foam rolling or in the, get in the pool for a little bit or lighter, you know, lower impact things instead of just going hard every single day on the same thing. Um, and I totally agree with that. I think there's, you have to have a healthy balance of what you're striving for, but what's the long term of your, your ability here? Like availability is the best ability. So if you keep getting hurt because you're overtraining or you're, you know, playing year round and you're not giving for baseball, your arm a break for per se, you know, like that's why I'm glad I played basketball for half the year kind of. So I wouldn't just fall into this. It's fall ball. Then it's winter ball. Then it's the season. Then it's summer ball. It's just, it doesn't end. So the parents have to be mindful of, is my kid playing overdoing it right now? Like, is he playing too much? It doesn't matter. You don't have to go to every, what we call showcase tournaments. Mm -hmm. You don't have to go to those, right? You don't, not every single one. So I think I've all, I'm a huge believer. If you're good, people will find you. So I, I'm not saying don't work hard, but talent over everything will, you know, kind of rise to the top and assuming you put the work in as well. So I, I, I just, I'm not a huge believer in you have to play every single tournament.
I love that. I think that's such an important topic to, to bring up because I know we have a lot of young athletes who are listening and they see athletes, you know, maybe 10 years above them. And they're like, I want to train exactly like them. I want to do this. And when you go back and unpack what those athletes were doing at that level, it might not have been, you know, playing every single day. It takes a long time to build up to that. And especially at a young age, when, like you said, you're growing into your body, you're learning to use these limbs, like playing the multiple sports, you know, taking some time to do different things can really help you with just coordination and overall then your sustainability in the sport. Yeah. I'm not saying don't get lessons. Don't get specialized training. I'm not saying don't do that. I'm just saying be mindful of how often you're doing it and what kind of stress you're putting on a young body. I think that's, that's a big part of it. Yeah. So we left off on your story when basically you were playing both sports and then you decided to make the decision to go to college for baseball. So mm-hmm. let's, let's continue there. I'd love to know more about that journey into playing college. How was that transition from going from, you know, being a multi-sport high school athlete to focusing on that one sport and playing at the college level? Sure. It's definitely a transition, you know, and at, to be honest, basketball is my favorite sport, but I just saw the future more with baseball. So I decided to go that route. I was, and I wasn't even on scholarship. Okay. I was a recruited walk on, I was still six, seven in high school. So I was a big kid, but I hadn't fully developed into my like full, you know, I guess man strength per se. So I was still kind of a late bloomer. Um, but when you get to college, it's a, you know, I, I was a recruited walk on and non-scholarship. So I was not a priority guy on the list. Uh, and it's a transition, you know, it's the, the, the college athlete is, you know, usually it's weights in the morning, then you got to go to class, then you come back and go to practice, then study hall and then homework. And then, you know, social life, if you have time for it and then games on the other days, it's a full-time job. So it's a transition for the first semester, at least from high school kid to now you're, you know, you went from being the best, you know, the top of the, the chain as a senior. And now you're a freshman again with older dudes that are trying to get drafted. And there, there's some urgency there for those guys too. So it's just a transition. You're away from your parents. You know, you're living on your own. It's, it's a, it's a maturity thing. So it, everybody, I like, I prefer people that go to college instead of, you know, unless you get drafted to high school for millions of dollars, I always push people to college because you can't get those years back. So um, but it was, I mean, it, it was fun. Like I enjoyed it. Uh, I redshirted my first year, barely pitched my second year. And then I decided to transfer, which ended up being the best decision for my career. But up until that point, you know, I was just not, I'm not, my thought was I'm not going to get drafted if I don't pitch. So if no one sees me, I'm not going to get drafted. So I need to make a decision. So that's when I decided to transfer after my second year. Mm, I've, I've heard that a lot from a lot of different athletes who have spoken to or have had on the podcast that transferring was the best decision they'd have ever made. What advice would you give to an athlete who's going through that process, who's struggling at this current school, but also worried, you know, all of a sudden they're going to have to go through that whole learning process again, make new friends. Sure. Yeah. What advice could you give to them? I think, I don't think you should leave after the first year. I think you should at least give it two years where you're at, you know, junior college may be different, but if you go to a division one school, even D2, I think you got to give it the first two years because like mentally the first year, maybe I wasn't ready. And, you know, they got a lot of older guys in the team. I wasn't going to be a, a, a like a main, you know, guy anyway. So, but when I barely pitched my second year, I, I had an honest conversation with my coaches. Now my advice would be, you need to talk to your coaches at the current school and say, Hey, do you see a future for me here next year? You know, especially coming back as a junior, you know, eligibility wise, I was a redshirt sophomore, but still my third year of college, am I going to be a guy here or am I way behind all the scholarship dudes, no matter if I'm better than them or not, because there's money invested there. So you have to get realistic of where you are on the depth chart per se. So I I think once you have that conversation with your coaches, you know, your parents or your support system, 
it, they may, hopefully they're honest with you and just, they might just say, Hey, yeah, I think, you know, looking elsewhere might be, might be better. And my coaches did tell me that they said, if you don't find anything, you can come back. But that was enough for me. And I was already leaning that way because like I mentioned, I, I want exposure. I, I want to pitch. I, I felt like I still had more to offer than just being stashed away at a, at a college. So I transferred to a, a same level, another D one school out here in California, Long Beach state, which is a, a great baseball program. And that was kind of the turning point, but there were no guarantees either. I was gambling on myself again, but it goes with the belief in yourself that you are, you know, good enough to play at that level, but also being honest with your current situation. Hmm. Thank you for sharing that advice. I think it's so important. And before we go into, you know, getting drafted and that whole exciting story, I want to ask a couple more questions about your college journey, because, you know, we're seeing all over the news now, the epidemic of mental health crisis with college athletes and the pressures that are put upon them, managing, you know, that, that crazy sports schedule on top of school, on top of relationships, on top of being at an age where you're just trying to figure things out. And then perhaps, you know, maybe dealing with things with mental health, physical health, different things that you want to hide maybe from your coaches and the program because you're worried about, you know, you're in the system that's like a business and what if they drop you or they don't play you because you share some of these things. So what, I guess, advice could like, do you experience any of these things? How did you overcome them? And what advice would you give to people who are experiencing that now that could, you know, perhaps help them or uh, inspire them to reach out for help um, and handle it a little bit differently? Yeah. I think you got to go to your support system, whoever that is. If, if it's not your parents, it's, you know, grandparents or friends or aunt and uncle, whoever you have in your corner. And even nowadays, like I was in college, you know, 15, 16 years ago, Mental health wasn't really talked about that much. It was when I went to Long Beach State, it was because I, we had a sports psychologist there, but it really wasn't talked about. It was the whole, you know, you got to be tough and, you know, it can't mm-hmm. show any any emotion type of atmosphere. But I was lucky enough that I have great parents and they were able to help me mentally kind of navigate through some of the tough times. Like when you're not, you know it's amazing how much when you're, you don't, you're not, uh, you don't feel connected to the team. You get your motivation. You just get demotivated. Like you're, mm-hmm. you just, or unmotivated. You, you just, it takes away from the joy of the game. And so you have to find ways to find, you know, joy in the process of getting better, you know, whether it's finding coaches on the side that are not affiliated with the team that can help you still improve while you're at the school, even though you're unhappy at the time, it's finding people outside and you have to take it upon yourself to reach out. And I know it's tough as a 18, 19, 20 year old kid to have the courage to ask for help. Cause a lot of people don't do that at that age, but I think it's way more acceptable now. So my overall theme here would be you just need to ask for help with people that you feel like are going to support you and be honest with you as well. Mm, I think what you said about, you know, perhaps a third party outside of the school could be very helpful because there is that stigma or worry that even if your coach says, you know, come forward, speak to us, you still do worry, right? If that's going to affect your playing time, if that person has their own biases about mental health, it's, there still is that, you know, concern in the back of your head. And so perhaps going outside of the school can be uh, a a way to get some support where you don't feel that pressure of, you know, perhaps your athletic career being in the balance. Sure. And you you know, a lot of kids, including myself, get labeled, right? I was a, a, you know, a a nice kid from Orange County. I didn't come from, you know, the South where I was like a tough, you know, grew up on a farm and I I wasn't that guy, you know, like I I grew up in a a fortunate area, not like overly spoiled, but like in a, a nice area. And 
there's a stigma of that the people that come from this area aren't as competitive because they didn't come from nothing. So I'm dealing with that stigma as well. It's, I know it's nothing to complain about, but that's, you know, when you get those hard nosed coaches that are just because, you know, I, I smile or I'm, I feel like I'm a laid back California guy, that doesn't mean I'm not competitive. So I had to fight that stigma as well. And the only way to do that is when it, whatever sport you're in, when you get on the field or you get on the court, like you have to show people that, Hey, I am that dude or, you know, or girl, you know, like that is your time to shine. So the way to shut people up is by your performance. So, you know, everybody deals with different stigmas, whether, whatever it may be, you know, if they're, the grades aren't good or you have a bad family background, you just have to find a way to, you have to fight through stuff sometimes. Right. Totally. And so now let's, let's get back into your story and let's go from how was, did it play out once you did transfer and then how did you end up getting drafted? So when I transferred again, I was kind of betting on myself. I was coming into a, a great program that already had a bunch of guys that were going to get drafted anyway. So I didn't have a role per se. Like when I got there, I just, I was kind of taking a chance and I, I wasn't sure, but it's amazing what can happen in the course of a year. So as I started to get better and, you know, I would come in as like a middle relief guy. And then I would come in as a spot starter on a Tuesday, Wednesday game. And then in college, college baseball, usually Friday, Saturday, Sunday, those are the, the three game series that you play. Friday is the number one guy. Saturday is the number two. Sunday is the number three. Usually that's how it goes. And then you have midweek games where people will, as starting pitchers, will start those games. So I just kept you know, doing better and getting, they started trusting me more. And by the end of the year, I'm pitching in a playoff game. And it's, it's just as one of the main guys. So you really don't know what can happen, whether other people get injured, whether they're, you know, grades wise, or they phase out because they're not working that hard. The, what you can control is what you do on the field. That's it. Everybody else can, you know, you can't worry about what anyone else is doing. I know it's way easier said than done, but it just shows you a, a lot of things can happen in one year. And by the end of the year, um, you know, I was going through the process. I started getting a lot of phone calls and these little questionnaires from major league teams to fill out about like personality tests, all kinds of stuff. And oh, going to, yeah. And going to lunches no and dinners. Yeah. Cause they want to see who they're drafting. If you're going to be a, high, a decently high pick, they, they don't want to put stock in somebody that's got character issues or that mm. has, you know, uh, or maybe they've, they've topped out and this is as good as they're going to be. They've peaked in college or high school and they don't, there's no projectability there in the future. So they have to do their due diligence when they're going to take somebody pretty high. Cause you're, you know, they're going to put some money behind you. So there's a whole process with that too. So you have to, you have to navigate, all right, not, you know, loving yourself too much when you're getting hit up by scouts and teams that you, you know, stay focused and, mm -hmm. and deal with it all. So it, it was exciting. And I ended up getting drafted in the fifth round and, and by the Seattle Mariners. And it was, it was awesome. So it was a cool experience. I can imagine like that feeling of getting drafted, like a moment that you work for for most of your life is such a special moment, like with your family. So what was that like? And then how was it trans you know, transitioning into, you know, starting to play, playing in the minors, going through that process? Yeah. You know, it, you get a lot of like uh, feedback from, from scouts and I had like an advisor. I didn't have an agent at the time because you're not allowed to sign with agents before the draft because right. you're not a professional, you're amateur. So I had a, a guy that was advising me and he, you know, I had heard fourth through sixth, seventh round, something like that. And at that time there were 50 rounds still. So, you know, top five rounds is, is pretty high pick. Um, and the first few rounds went by and my name didn't get called. I was like, well, it's not going to happen today. You know? Mm. So I, I, <laughs> I was just, it's a, it's a very stressful day. And then finally my name got called and you know, my parents were there my sister was there and we're all, we all freaked out and we saw it. It was just, it was a cool moment. And it was also kind of a, you know, 
screw you to the other school that I came from, you mm. know, mentally. Cause I was like, Hey, see, I, I told you, I, like, I, I, this is what I am, you know, this is what I'm capable of. So there was a lot of good, you know, feeling there with that just to prove that I was worthy of getting drafted pretty highly. And um, yeah. And then pro ball is a whole different world. So that, yeah, leaving college, you know, it was tough. I, I could have come back for my red shirt junior year, but just mentally I was ready for the next step. You know, I was 21 years old. I was ready to, to start my pro ball career. Awesome. So you spent time in like a lot of various organizations and it always blows my mind, like, especially in sports like, like yours versus an individual sport where you're really having to move your home base a lot. And like, you can just get traded, you can get, you know, you switch over to a different team versus as an individual sport athlete, like, yes, you're always on the road, but often you do have a home base, maybe where your house is or where your training camp is. And unless you decide to train with a whole different group of people decide to, you know, maybe change countries or change coaches. You're, you're in that home base. So you are coming back, but how was it like traveling around and not knowing when you could just get traded and all of a sudden your home base is changing? Right. It was very difficult to get used to because you're taking bus trips in the you know middle of nowhere. You're staying in crappy hotels, like minor leaguers. This is often like underreported. It's getting better now about stuff trickling out, but you know, we're making less than minimum wage and we're professional athletes, you know? So think about just the idea of that. Like we're, we're, we could have worked at a fast food place and made more money. Probably it was, Mm -hmm. it's just, it's crazy how little money there is in the minor leagues and all the money's in in major league baseball when you get up to the big leagues. So they kind of treat you like you're, you know, bottom of the barrel. Now, obviously there are some guys that get, you know, big signing bonuses and there's, you know, some money and longer leash behind them to perform or fail at that matter. But yeah, it's, it's a hectic, you could get released or cut at any time. There's no job security, really. They could, they could release you at any time. Uh, I got traded twice in my career, you know, in mid season. So I'm having to, mm. you know, get out of my apartment lease, you know, get off, the, you know, usually you live with a, a few other guys. Like one of us was on the cable bill. One of us was on the electric, bill. like <laughs> yeah. it just, I had to get my name off of that and like pack up all my stuff and go to a new team where I don't know anybody. And then where am I going to stay? I got to find of one of the apartments that a guy just got released or traded from that spot. It's just, it is crazy. Just the, the mental grind that it takes and the physical grind. Cause you're, there's very few days off during the season. So for six months, you maybe get one, maybe two days off a month. Otherwise you're having games every day. Now as a pitcher, I wasn't playing in every game, but still you're expected to, you know, take an overnight bus trip and have a game the next day and perform at your highest level it's, it's just difficult, you know? So it's a total mental grind to try to make it. And also I'll add one other thing. When you get to the minors, you are competing with your own teammates to try to make it up to the big league team. Cause there's like five levels for those that don't know until you get up to the big league. So I'm living with guys that I'm competing against in my own organization. And we're playing against other teams. Just, it's a whole, it's, it's a tough, mental grind. (laughs) I, yeah, I can totally imagine whenever I've seen like baseball schedule and then I've just learned from friends and other guests a little bit more about the minor leagues. I'm like, this is crazy. And, and there's a lot of players that stay in the minor leagues for a decade or more, and they're living that life for so long. So, Mm -hmm. um, were, how long were you part of that system and how was it with, you know, trying to move up and get into the major leagues? So I was in the minors for seven years total. Wow. I was a three. Yeah. Long time. And, and I never got called up to the big league. So it, it was a long time. And I, I almost did like one level per year pretty much, but I, there were a couple of times when I overlapped, 
Um, but yeah, each level, the players get better. You know, you're already, you already have the best players in the world, right? So it's not just, you know, when you're in college baseball, you're playing against just Americans for the most part. When you get to minor league baseball, you have tons of countries around the world. You got all the Latin countries, you got Canada, Mexico, you got all the Asian countries, you got from all around the world, you're competing with a huge pool of people. Uh, and you know, there's a little bit of politics involved as well. And so one of the hard parts was that me getting traded from my original team, I was no longer the new organization's guy because I, they already have their draft picks that they, they have already mm. put money behind. So it's really tough to bounce around and still make it because they control your destiny. I can't move myself up. You know, I, the only thing I can control is how I play on the field. So that's really tough to deal with. Cause you're, you know, the season start like March is spring training. The season starts in April. And if you're still in the same place you were in August and you're seeing other dudes get moved up, you know, to the next level and you're still there, it's very hard to deal with mentally. Cause even if your, your numbers are better, you're just like, why aren't I getting moved up? You know? So it's a total, uh, it's tough mentally to, to deal with that. So again, easier said than done, but the only thing you can do is, is, uh, control what you do on the field. So, um, but I got to triple a and I got close to the big leagues. It was a great run. It was just, uh, it was a grind. I, yeah. A grind is sounds exactly <laughs> like it. Um, yeah. right, were there any key routines or mental practices that really kept you going through these seven years that you could share with us? Yeah. Mentally, you know, having sports psychologists is great or therapists in general, just someone to bounce things off of that is unbiased. That doesn't, you know, not a family member, you know, I used to think my parents knew everything. And then I got older. I'm like, nah, I don't necessarily agree with that. You know what I mean? Like, so once I started getting help outside and they're great, but like, they're not professional, you know, they're, yeah. they're not psychologists. So once I started accepting the fact that talking to these people would help, it really, you can label those thoughts per se of like, okay, this is something, or it's really not, it's just, a, it's just nothing, you know? So simplifying the game mentally, because like I said, everybody gets better. You know, everyone's talented once you climb the ladder. So what is going to separate you? It's the mental, it's the mental game. So once I started accepting that that was going to help me, that was huge as well. And then as you get older, just by default with experience physically, I learned how to take care of my body better. You know, there, obviously there's no money in the minor. So the, the food is, it's kind of slim pickings on eating. You're not shopping at whole foods. Mm -hmm. So, you know, or nice grocery stores, you're eating fast food for the most part or whatever the stadium has. So just trying to take care of my body better, you know, showing up earlier to the field every day to do more foam rolling, to do more stretching, to do more band work, like all the little things as you get older, because your body just doesn't respond right away. So you just learn with time how to take care of your body better. And then, so it's a six month season, but then there's six months off. So how do you prepare yourself for the rest of that too. So it's a lot of the, the off season workouts and the throwing programs and all that stuff. Cause back in the old days, you could just show up to spring training and that's when you get in shape. Now it is a year round business where you need to be in good shape all year round and get ready and be as in perfect, you know, not perfect, but top condition when you get to spring training to get ready for the season. So it's a full year round thing, even though you're not playing games for six months out of the year. Right. And I, it's, it still blows my mind that, you know, these teams are investing in players like yourself um, and you're playing in the minors and you're trying to make it out there, but they're, they're only paying you enough to eat fast food and do these things, right. Barely. When they, they should know, you know, what is actually going to help you develop into the athlete that would play for their system. And that, that blows my mind. And it kind of leads into <laughs> a question I wanted to ask, which is, 
What's the main difference that you saw between the players that quickly moved up into the higher ranks or into the majors or the players that had a longer career versus the ones who, you know, either burnt out quickly or were never able to move up at all? Yeah, I think the definitely the mental side, the guys that couldn't handle, you know, not being moved up or not being in priority. If you show up to the field better every single day, mm. it's just your, your performance is not going to be there. Uh, and like I said, some of it's out of your hands and, and not every move is a baseball move. Some of it is a, you know, if they have a high draft pick who they don't think can make it to the big leagues, but they want to showcase that kid. And so they can maybe package him in a trade. There's a lot of reasons why people get moved up. It's not just he's better than him. I, I wish it was that yeah. way. Cause per, you know, performance <laughs> wise, numbers wise, I might've made it, but there's a lot of politics behind who gets called up and who doesn't. So there's, there's that side. It's not all of that, but uh, I think it's just the guys that clearly that that can get better and adjust to the new leagues. You know, for for example, like once you get to double A, that is about the level where most guys, once you get to double A, you can probably play in the big leagues. That's like the kind of the mark. Can you stick or not? Uh, and then triple A is a, a mix of, you know, guys that are good in double A and guys that have gotten sent down from the big league. So it's kind of that holding, you know, it's mostly older guys, but. Once you get to double A, you find out if you can really play at the next level or not. And I had to repeat that level because it just, it was an adjustment for me the first year, you know, as a pitcher, like guys aren't swinging as much at stuff, you know, in the dirt. Sometimes they have a better approach when they come up to the plate to hit. So you have to improve. You have to level up each time you move, you know, up in, in the leagues. So it's the guys that can find ways to get better and improve and also staying healthy is huge too. So uh, I had some injuries in my career that like you, you know, how it goes with that. So it, it just, some of that did hold me back as well. So there is a lot of factors of why guys get moved up. Right. And like you said, I mean, there's politics in every sport and it's yeah. not necessarily just, you know, the best rise to the top. And then there's yeah. injuries, things outside of your control. And so sports is truly, you know, it's, it's preparing for those opportunities and hoping they're going to come. And sometimes you're able to take, make the most of them. And sometimes things happen, whether it's like you said, the politics, the injuries, and unfortunately yeah. things don't go your way. How did you, I guess, deal with that? And how did you deal with your career coming to an end or deciding to, you know, transition out of the sport? I'll give you the, the story of when I got released. So I came to spring training in 2014 um, and toward the end of there, I was kind of on the bubble to make one of the teams. I had a good year the year before, but again, I was getting older and I was not one of the priority guys. So I, it was the way it works is I, I literally showed up to the facility. Like I always do early in the morning and all my stuff out of my locker was gone. And so oh. I was some, one of the, uh, yeah, that's literally, it's, it's like that. So one of the equipment managers comes up to me and was like, Hey, we need to talk to you in the office. And I, I had a feeling of what it was. Cause I've been around, I've seen it before. So, um, it was, it was, you know, they explained to me that they didn't have a spot for me and I got released. So I decided it was, and that was a, that's a tough day for everybody. I've seen guys get released, you know, every year. I, I have another quick story after that too. You'll, it's okay. not great, but it, yeah. Um, <laughs> But I decided to play independent ball, which is basically a pool of players that are not affiliated with Major League Baseball, but it's the guys that are trying to get signed back to the minors, basically. Mm. So it's like there's still good players in the league, but they got released. They're not with a team right now. So I played independent ball for one year. And after that, I, mentally, I was like, there's no much more I can do. There's there's nothing else I can do. You know, like I had a good year there too, like number of, numbers wise, and I didn't get signed back with anybody. So I was at peace with leaving the game. I was never going to be a baseball lifer where 
I, I was just going to stay in it and make nothing till I was 40 years old, just in, in on the independent circuit. Like, I'm just not going to do that. So mm-hmm. um, I decided to give it up and move on. But uh, the one story I was going to tell you, my first ever spring training, I'm like, I'm a young kid. I just got drafted and I'm rooming with a guy and I get back uh, to the hotel and I see his stuff is gone. And I'm like, where'd he go? I was like, Hey, I called him. I was like, Hey, do you want to get dinner or something like that? He's like, no, dude, I, I got released. I was like, released from what? He's like, I, I got cut. I'm going home. I was like, Oh damn. Like, I didn't realize it was just like that, you know, and it, you never know what can, when it can happen. And it's a very tough, uh, cutthroat business. So it, it's, uh, it's hard. It's definitely hard. <laughs> yeah. That, that seems crazy that you just show up one day and your stuff is yeah, gone and then they gone. just approach like you. It's and in the trash. Like, yeah. It's in yeah. a trash bag. Here you go. Good luck. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. That, that seems unreal to me. I, I, so I have a friend and I think he is one of the founders or with the, like a nonprofit advocacy group for the minor leagues. Okay. And so he's doing a lot of work of, you know, like shining a light on this situation and like how athletes are treated and how it could be improved. And I, yeah, the more that I learn about that, the, the crazier it sounds that, you know, how these situations are handled, right? Like even when you have a sponsor, usually it's still, you know, a conversation like, Hey, our marketing budget got cut. Like this is happening. It's not like, you know, here's your bag. Things are, this is it like goodbye. Right. And so there's, there's been a lot of talk about, cause up until this year, the major league teams wouldn't pay for housing for the minor leaguers. So you're having to pay rent, which is pretty expensive. You know, obviously if you've got a few guys in there with you, you can make it happen. But this is the first year I believe that major league baseball is requiring the minor league uh, or each organization to pay for minor leaguer housing, which is a huge, huge. deal. Yeah. yeah. So at least there are people like, I'm sure that the person, you know, that are taking steps to get better pay. And the argument is, why not get these kids better treatment in the minors to get them ready to contribute yeah. to your team when you get up there? That's what doesn't make sense to me at all. Yeah. Right. It, it, because it, means it are is investments. a business. Yeah. yeah. Like even like, you know, you could argue, okay, like, you know, treat them like humans and not just business investments. But even if they're making the argument, like this is a business investment, uh, you know, whatever it, it sounds from a business standpoint that treating these athletes better so that they will progress as athletes and human beings and being able to contribute to the team. If they make it, that is just going to, you know, boost the quality of the league, get better double A players, better triple A, like it's just going to improve the quality of the players. So it, yeah, it really does not make sense to me. I wonder if it's, <laughs> it's like all the owners got together and they said, well, you know, cause if one owner was doing it and another owner wasn't, then I think that would cause right more people to change because they want to compete against the others. But if they all get together and are like, let's all be stingy with our money. And I think that's kind of what happened. And now the players are getting together and, you know, uh, creating players associations to discuss that and, you know, confront it and combat it. Right. Exactly. And it, it does, you know, social media probably does help in this regard. Like there have been people that I'm, I don't know if you've seen those or not, but like people are posting the food they're getting in the mm-hmm. minors, which is like kind of like fire festival food. If you know what that is, oh, you know, yes. it's like a, a cheese sandwich. Like, I mean, these are professional athletes, you know, like you, you got to treat them a little better than that. So I think sometimes social media and like just shedding a light on these things does help. And it opens people's eyes to like, this is how it is. Like this, it's not a great lifestyle. You know, I know we're, people will say, Oh, you play baseball for a living. Like I would trade you tomorrow, but it's, it's one of the, it's the toughest thing that I've had to go through in life. You know, it's, and especially what if you have a family, you're away from your kids mm-hmm. and you know, your wife and you know, all that stuff. Like you, you got 
all kinds of things that you have to miss, like graduations and birthdays and weddings. And, you know, I couldn't go to a lot of stuff because I was gone. It's, it, and you can't just like take PTO and take a day off that you, you like, you can't leave really, unless it's like yeah. a, a, an emergency, you got to stay and play the whole season. So you miss out on a lot of life things too, from playing. So it, you're, it's a huge sacrifice from these players. Totally. 100%. And I do think social media does have that benefit. Like we saw with, you know, um, Sedona posting with the, with the uh, college women's basketball, I guess it was two uh, March Madnesses ago where now women's basketball championships are called March Madness. You know, the gyms are better. She was yeah. posting about like just these pile of dumbbells while the men's gym was, was so elegant. And so I think, <laughs> yeah, shining a light on these things, right. It, it does cause change. It opens people's eyes. A lot of people will say, well, no one cares. Like people think that this is how you should be paid or treated or whatever, but it's actually that most people just don't know. And once we know it's like, we can create some noise around it and create some pressure on the people who are mistreating or not properly compensating or giving opportunities to, you know, the athletes. Right. Exactly, man. So it's, it's good. It's a good thing that they're actually starting to see like the, at least the general public of, of what it's really like in the minors and for women's sports too. Yeah. So how was that transition uh, into, you know, kind of everyday life, trying to get a job and do those things? I saw that you were a franchise owner yeah. and an account exec. I feel like yeah. business and sales are like two super popular avenues for athletes. So did people tell you like, this is what you should do? This is what you'd be good at? Or did you naturally already had, you know, interest in those types of things? I always, I thought of myself as like an entrepreneur, a business owner. I just kind of saw myself that way. My dad had his own business too. So I just kind of grew up with that mindset. Uh, and I just think I was mentally ready. Now I did go from baseball to owning a, a sandwich franchise. That was kind of a, a left turn there. Um, but the reason why is because during my minor league career, you know, uh, one of them was, was close by and they, they would deliver sandwiches to the clubhouse. And I'm like, this is the best thing ever. And I heard that that company was coming out to California and starting to build a bunch of locations out here. And I, my cousin and I were like, Hey, let's, you know, my, I know my career is coming to an end. I was like, let's check this out. And so long story short, we became franchisees and that was another really tough thing to dive into, you know? So, uh, just hiring, you know, 18 to 22 year old kids and having them try mm -hmm. to run the show and all the training and procedures that you have to follow. And it's a good business. It's just franchising is very restrictive. So you, you don't get to choose a lot of things. You kind of just show up you can't change the menu. You can't change the time you open or close. Like there's a lot of hoops to jump through. Uh, but the business plans laid out every day and it, it was fine. It was a great experience, you know, running the, running the show, but it's hard to make a lot of money off of a lunchtime business. So yeah. it's uh, it was, it was a good experience, but it was very hard. I can, I can definitely imagine. And what, yeah. like, what are some of those skills from sports though, that did transfer? Cause I know there's probably some things that you thought, okay, like I had success here. It's easily going to go here. And maybe that wasn't the case, but there's probably also other things that you were able to surprise yourself with things that you learned from sport. I think one thing for me, I'm always very, I've, I've always kind of had the, you know, show up early, be prepared. And I think when your employees see that they kind of follow suit. And also I'm very calm. Like for the most part, I don't have these big, you know, a high highs and low lows. Like I'm very even keeled. And so if you keep the peace, kind of like a coach in sports, if you're calm, your players will be calm for the most part. So I was just very good at staying disciplined, but you know, knowing when to give like praise a, a kid or knowing when to kind of give constructive criticism, I'm not, you know, yelling at anybody or anything like that. Mm -hmm. You have to walk a fine line with young people. So I, I had to 
just manage, learn how to manage young people and get them to buy in as well. So part of being on a team is working well with others and having to motivate people and just putting people in position to succeed as well. You know, learning who's good at what, what is your skill set, and how can I get the most out of you? You know, like if someone's afraid to be on the cash register, then maybe we put them on this, on the different part of the sandwich line. But maybe you also expose them to it to say, hey, let's get out of your comfort zone a little bit and see if it's just, you're just talking to people and taking orders, not that hard, you know? So <laughs> it's just learning people and personalities and putting them in position to succeed. So I, I always saw myself in a leadership management role just because I feel like I can evaluate talent and just see who fits where. Sounds like like perfect coaching qualities. Did yeah, you do exactly. any? Did you do any like coaching, like for other baseball athletes or anything throughout your career? You know what? I've done lessons here and there randomly, but I just, um, like I said, once baseball became a business, I just mm -hmm. did not want to, as a coach, I would have had to climb the ladder as well. And it's just like, yeah. do I want to keep riding the buses as a coach now? You know, like mm -hmm. I just was worn out mentally from the game. I was kind of, you know, bitter at the game because of the way it all ended. And maybe parts of my career, I felt like I was held back for no reason from getting moved up from different organizations. Like I was just kind of, the game kind of turned me off for a while. So I, yeah. I, I wanted to get away from baseball. I, yeah, I would, I would love to ask you a little bit more about that because sure. I don't remember if I shared it when I was on your podcast, but yeah, that was a, like one of the first things I did in therapy was write a letter to snowboarding. Cause I was similar, like, yeah. yeah, I was very bitter towards it. Like, Oh, you know, was this the right sport for me? Um, you know, all the politics that happened, like very, very similar. Right. And so we're, how were you able to move past that? And, or are you, have you moved past that? And do you enjoy like going out to a game or being sure. part of baseball now? Yeah, I think right off the bat, like when when the guys my age started to get called up to the big leagues and I wasn't up there, there was some, mm. you know, some jealousy there or there was some bitterness there just because it's like, how did that dude make it? And I didn't like there was definitely some of that happening. And so I didn't really go to a lot of games right away. It took me a couple of years to, you know, I stopped. I didn't really watch it that much. I still watch the World Series because it's exciting and it's like playoff hockey, for instance. You know, it, it's yeah. cool to watch that. But I wasn't watching a lot of games. I just, I was just kind of, um, I was over baseball for a while. Um, I mean, I'm fine now, obviously, because a lot of the guys that I've played with are not playing anymore. So in some <laughs> of them are, but <laughs> it's just, I, I think it was, I hate to say it, but it was some of that, you know, like there, yeah. if you're a competitor, you want to be there, you want to be on that mm -hmm. stage and you, and you don't understand why some guys are there and aren't there. It's just, it's, uh, it was tough mentally for a few years after that, but I eventually, you know, I'm at peace with it. And like I said, when I retired, there's, in my opinion, I couldn't have done much more than I had already done. You know, I'm seven years in, you know, getting closer to 30 is, is not what it used to be in baseball. You know, back in the day, there used to be guys playing to their mid thirties, almost 40 years old. That it's such sports has become such a young person's, you know, league that, the old guys get phased out pretty quickly. So I was at peace with it. There's nothing more, there's nothing more that I could do on the field. I don't think, I mean, obviously you can pitch a little better or as a hitter, you can hit a little better, but like in re in reality, I don't know how much more I could have done. Well, I really appreciate you sharing that because I'm sure there's somebody listening who got cut from a team and, sure. you know, their friends maybe are wondering how come you can't come out and still support us, uh, even though you got cut or, you know, whatever it is, their sport career ended and they're struggling to get back out and support even other sports. Like that was an issue for me was I would go watch other sports and be like, 
I want to be the person who's on, you know, the field or the court. And then that kind of did lead me to competing in a new sport. But like, I I hope that people can relate with that and understand that it is okay to go through that process. And that it's normal to go through that process of maybe having some of that resentment through your sport. Like it really is a relationship and it had a rough ending and you're going to have to go through a healing process to, you know, maybe come back to it or, or not. Right. And you, and you talked about it when you came on my show, like the, the idea of your identity was attached to snowboarding, you know, that was all you were, that's all you knew, you know, and once that's taken away, where, where do you go from there? So I think it's natural to, you know, if you do therapy or, or sports psychology to learn about how to handle, you know, giving that sport up or giving that thing that you've always done up, you know, so it's, it's definitely not easy. It's going to take time, but you're always going to come out better afterwards, you know, after going through that process. So, you know, and I like to tell people this too, you know, I spent, if you count just the, my, the pro side of my life, like seven years of not creating a real life resume, you know, like I, I, none of these, yes, I have skills, people skills and life skills, but I don't have the technical skills to go into uh, a, a software engineer or like, you know, be these things. Like I, I wasn't doing that. So things are just starting later for me. And so, um, but everybody has a different path. So you just have to, you have to roll with it. Right. And you have unique experiences that, yeah, like yeah. other people didn't have. And that's amazing as well. So you shared so, so much great advice throughout this, this episode uh, for young athletes and athletes and really anybody transitioning or going through that process or developing in their sport or overcoming obstacles in life out, like out of all the things you've experienced, the lessons you've learned, what is one thing that you wish every athlete would have known earlier or in their career could know now through you sharing it? I, I'll use the one I used earlier. You can only control what you do on the field or whatever in your sport is in. That is all you can control. The rest is, you know, decisions are going to be made without you sometimes. And so you can only control how you prepare, what how you show up every day and, and how you recover and where your mental side of the game is at. Those are things within your control. The effort you give, the attitude you bring to the whatever your sport is every single day, those are in your control. All the other stuff is not because there's just there's some luck involved, right? There's going to be people that get breaks and you don't. And there's going to be times when you get the break and other people don't. So you need to stay. That's why I try to not get too high and too low. Everything comes back to the middle for the most part. So control what you can control. That's the best advice. Amazing. I love that. So I have three questions. I ask everybody near the end of the podcast. And the first one is out of all your daily habits, what is the single biggest game changer for you? Uh, I I always preach being early. So just be early to stuff. I think, I think early and being prepared. I think that is for me, that is the number one thing. Like when I do my interviews on my podcast, like I always try to be prepared and have everything written out. I don't like to wing it on things, whether it's in life or on the podcast. Like I don't, I just don't like to wing things. So I'd much rather be prepared. And if you don't get to all of it, you don't, but I always preach being prepared for whatever it is you're going to do. Um, and then mentally you can trust that you've done all the work ahead of time and then you can be free in whatever you're doing when you start that. So, uh, I have learned a lot in sports psychology. You know, they, I've heard one called like train the trust and trust the train basically. Mm. So you're training all the trust and what, you know, how to, to feel comfortable in what you're about to do and then trust it and just be free and go for it. 
I love that because yeah, having that experience, having that preparedness, that's what's going to give you confidence on the day right. of to just be like, Hey, I can only control what I can control. Cause like, I know that I prepared. I know I put the work yes. in versus right. Like you, you show up at an exam. You're like, I never studied. I never read the textbook. Like, worst course, feeling ever. Yeah. Worst <laughs> feeling. Right. Versus when, of course, you know, you might still go through the anxiety, the nerves, the different things on sure. a game day or a test. Uh, but if you have prepared, that's going to be a lot less and not that like really sick feeling of when you just, you haven't. Right. Exactly. If you're prepared, you have nothing, you have nothing to worry about. So then you can, you can be free. <laughs> so the next one is, let's say you're at the end of your life. You're looking back on everything that you've done, accomplished, you know, experienced, in like one sentence or phrase and like a, you know, a short summary, what is that impact that you wanted to have made? Um, I think as far, I just want people, let's see, as far as like with my friends and family or just with who, in who, general, anybody. Yeah. 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 I think I, I, you know, I've learned a lot in, in sports and in life and I, I would like to, you know, be a voice to help people also. So I don't mind, you know, people reaching out to me and and I like to, to give advice. I like to give help because I have a lot of life experience. So a lot of things in sports apply to life. So I like to try to, and then using the podcast as well, and just give people an insight of like, Hey, yes, I'm talking to an athlete, but a lot of this you can apply to your daily life as well. So I like to give little nuggets to people that just one thought that can maybe change how they're going to be. So I, my, I think my legacy, I want to help people, you know, in whatever area of life they're in and, and just be a good friend and good family member. And um, I don't know, just, just be there to support during the good times and the bad for people that I know. I love that. And, you know, I, I'm sure those people appreciate it. I appreciate it um, that you do that and you're that supportive person. That's amazing. And now moving on to the last question, and that is, what does the saying all in mean to you? It means that when you decide to do something that you are not going to half-ass it, basically, you're, you're going to go all in and you're going to ask for help and you're going to find a mentor in that same field that can help you get to the next level because you can't do it on your own. So going all in is, is using your resources as best as you can and asking for help because you're not going to get there by yourself. I love that. And I love that you mentioned asking for help because I think that's, that's so important. And you touched on it earlier when we talked about mental health and finding a support system, however you can. So I appreciate all the amazing nuggets that you've shared. Um, we're definitely going to link your socials and your podcast, which is called sure. Too Tall Sports. Oh, actually. So is it called Too Tall because of, you know, yeah. you mentioned your height that you're six foot seven at the start? Yes. Too Tall Sports podcast. I get asked all the time how tall I am. So I was like, and I get that it does bother me sometimes. I won't lie. <laughs> but because it leads to another conversation and they're looking at me like I'm a, a, a creature that escaped from the zoo or something. It's like, oh, sorry, oh, no. look, I'm just six, seven, <laughs> like calm down. Um, and so I, I called it Too Tall Sports podcast because I'm just too tall for a lot of stuff, you know, like shoes and <laughs> clothes and cars, and airplanes, whatever. So anyway, I'm kind of, I'm embracing it that way, but yes, that's why I named it that. <laughs> I love that. I have a friend, he's also six, seven, um, and he's surprisingly a CrossFitter, uh, at six, seven. He's just like Damn. super stacked, but he used to play, um, yeah, college, uh, basketball. And one day he's like, Hey, like called me up. Like, will you come for the drive with me to the U S I'm like, why are we going to the U S he's like, I have to custom order like my CrossFit shoes from Nike. So he <laughs> met with someone who was able to get him these shoes. Then the worst part is like, we drove all the way, you know, ripped back up after having lunch 
and like one day in on rope climbs he tore the shoes and so oh. you know how to do the whole process all over again so <laughs> it, i can only imagine the difficulties of you know being someone who doesn't isn't able to just go and find you know clothes and shoes and all those things right at the grocery store right at the store um is it's it's just <laughs> i'm sure it's really difficult it's tough you know i have to duck under a lot of doorways you know just other <laughs> people don't don't have to deal with that stuff <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, again, appreciate you for being on. We're going to have the link uh, to your show and everything in the show notes. And thanks again for sharing all this advice to, you know, not more than just athletes, like you said, to anybody who's looking to improve in different areas of their life. For sure. Thank you for coming on my show. And I was glad to do yours. So uh, if anybody wants to reach out that are listeners of yours, uh, feel free to do that and uh, happy to talk. <laughs> If you like the podcast, the best way to support it is to leave a review and share it with a friend. Truly leaving a written review, letting us know what you liked and want more of, and sharing the podcast so more people can benefit is the best gift you could possibly give us. Thanks again for listening. I'm so grateful for your support, and I'll catch you on the next one.